Welcome to the Founder Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Founder or how you can get involved, visit thefoundrychurch.com. And to start this final week of our sermon series, Becoming the Best Us, I'm going to tell you a story about a little boy. And this little boy uh, was talking to his parents about the creation story, right? The, the beginning of the book of Genesis in our Bibles. And he was learning about how God created the world and everything in it, including the first humans, right? Man and woman, Adam and Eve. And he learned that it was a good thing. And so later in the day, he, this little boy, was outside playing with his mom. And he started rolling around on the ground, right? He was in pain and he was yelling and he was screaming. And his, his mom ran over to see what was the matter And he looked up to his mother and he said, my stomach hurts so, so bad. I think I'm having a wife. All right. He thought he was missing a rib. All right. That's how God created the first woman. And today we're going to talk about the problems that come in marriage. And there will always be problems that come between a husband and a wife. And they're usually much bigger than the pain of a missing rib that Adam or this little boy experienced, but they are problems nonetheless, right? And to be honest, we often often think that there are only big, massive solutions to our problems. And so like every week uh, during this series, I'm going to bring Christina to kind of kick us off a little bit. And we're going to talk about the next and final core habit that we need to have in our marriages. I, like most women, grew up watching rom-coms, romantic comedies. To this day, they are my go-to entertainment when I need to watch something that doesn't really take a lot of brain power, but it always makes me feel better. Um, Andrew teases me about the Hallmark movies, but I think there's a reason that we like to watch these movies. I think there's a lot of reasons, but the one I want to talk about today is big moments. So these movies are full of big, grand moments. And they're moments that define everything or change everything or they fix everything. We, we love it when we see Prince Charming find Cinderella after he tries on one shoe for a million people. I know it's not realistic, but we love it. <laughs> and then they have a big wedding. And, and we love in To All the Boys I Loved Before when Laura Jean comes to the field hockey and field and falls in love with Peter Kavinsky and confesses her undying love, and they live happily ever after. My personal favorite, Singing in the Rain, Gene Kelly cannot help his love, and he dances and sings in the rain, and it's a moment that goes down in history. It defines everything. It's a big moment. We love these moments. We invite our friends over to watch these moments. We dream about having these moments. We tell our friends about these big moments or anything that remotely sounds like a big moment in our lives. We love these. I I think, in fact, it's why at high schools now you'll see something called a prom proposal. It's essentially a marriage proposal, but it's just to go to prom. We also have, like, marriage proposals that go viral. We love these big moments in people's lives. Every couple wants those big moments. We want to be the next big thing online or the next big moment, or we want to go viral. And I don't think it's any surprise then that when we have problems that arise, we want a big moment or a big solution to solve the problem. We wanted a big moment when we got proposed to, so there should be a big solution when there's a problem. 
we think things like, well, my wife won't stop nagging me, so I'm just never going to do anything she ever asked me to do again. <clears throat> my husband keeps ignoring me when TV is on, so I'm just going to cancel cable. We can never stop fighting, so I'm just never going to talk to him again. I don't know about you, but maybe this sounds like a recent argument in your home. <laughs> we have these big solutions that we think will fix everything. Sometimes we, we land on the biggest solution, quote unquote, of all, and we think divorce is the only option. We find ourselves thinking things that we never thought before. Things like, well, I don't have the energy to fight anymore. Or my wife, well, she doesn't look at me like she used to, so I need the opportunity to leave and find somebody who will look at me that way. Or we think, well, lots of people get a divorce. Nobody's going to blame me if I get one. Or all my friends are saying that they would do the same thing in my situation, so it's okay. But here's the thing. The people who are telling you that this is the solution, many of them made a big promise at a big moment in their life, their wedding. They made big vows, big promises at a big moment. When Andrew and I were preparing for this message, we actually were talking about, well, what did we vow? And it was long enough ago that we had to pull out the video because we didn't remember. <laughs> and um, as soon as it came up, we realized, oh, we just did traditional vows. We promised things that a lot of you promised. We promised that we would love each other for richer or poorer, sickness and health, for better or worse, until death do us part. And that's a huge promise. I mean, death is kind of big thing. And the vows are so huge that they might beg the question, is it really fair to expect people to live up to these big promises? Is it really fair to ask a 40-something-year-old to keep the promises they kept when they were 20? Many people would say no. You hear things like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I think my spouse tricked me. <laughs> it was really great when we were dating, but he turned into a completely different person once we got married. When we got married, we were just kids. We didn't know what we were doing. I never dreamed that she would turn into such a workaholic. And, and the way that we should be parenting is light years from the way that he is parenting. So maybe divorce is the option. Maybe you've had these thoughts. Maybe you've considered it in the past or you're currently considering it. And here's the hard truth. Yes, there are extreme circumstances where divorce is the solution. Things like abuse or infidelity. And if you're in one of those situations, we would love to walk with you through that. But if you're being in ministry for a while and doing a lot of research, I can tell you with no hesitation, for most couples, for the vast majority of couples, divorce is not the only option, and it is definitely not the best solution. In fact, it, it just makes the problems worse usually, or it creates new problems. There are many reasons not to divorce, but here is the most common and I think best one. Your marriage can be fixed. It doesn't need a big life-changing decision. It doesn't need a big rom-com moment. Your marriage has hope. Yes, your, your marriage might be more complicated than I could ever understand, and, and I don't know all the details. That's true. But like we said at the very beginning of this series, 
turning your marriage in a better direction is not as difficult or huge as you think. Even keeping your marriage going in the right direction is not as huge or difficult as you may think. It all goes back to those habits we've been talking about. For many of us, divorce is not the answer. Having serious fun is a solution. For many of us, divorce is not the answer. The habit of loving God first is the answer. For a lot of us, divorce is not the answer. The habit of having a positive chase of love and respect, that's the answer. For 95% of us, divorce is not the answer. The habit of practicing your promise is the answer. That's the core four habit that we're going to talk about today, practicing your promise, practicing those vows that we talked about. Absolutely. Listen, it's, it's an exciting thing. And unfortunately, we all know people, right, who give in to big problems by, by doing something drastic or, like Christina's saying, big, right? When married people practice what they promise, this week's core four habit, it's a beautiful thing. Right? And it's not a huge, huge thing to do. Right? When your, your spouse uh, loses their job and it's stressful on you, right? but you encourage them anyways, right? that's practicing your promise. Right? When your, your spouse is sick and, and you have to pick up the slack, you practice your promise. When you, your spouse is in a, a tough season after the the death of a parent, and you give them some space and grace, you practice your promise. When you choose to love your spouse over loving the need to be right, you practice your promise. And when you, you seek out help to understand why you are, are so short-tempered, you're practicing your promise. Right? When, you, when you choose to love your spouse on days when their behavior is, is not lovely, you're practicing your promise. When we, right, as people forging our life on God day by day, situation by situation, practice what we have promised, our us, our relationships, our marriages can become even more than we imagined when we stood on an altar on our wedding day. Right? Practicing what we promise is something that is beautiful, not just for our us, but for our, our kids, our friends, our families, our neighbors, our coworkers, our churches, and even strangers. But listen, how, how do we do it, right? How do we faithfully practice what we promise? I believe it's in a mindset, right? And if we can get this mindset right, if we can develop this mindset, the power that it has for our marriages is absolutely endless, right? And this mindset, you know, was started by Jesus 2,000 years ago, right? Jesus was asked what his mindset was when it came to the topic of divorce, and he did not mince words, right? So with the, the goal of, of discrediting Jesus, like we've talked about before, uh, once again, a religious leader asked him if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. And we're going to take a look at this in Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, 
Go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9. Now, if you're, if you're here, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. Or if you're, you're watching at home, you can download the free Foundry Church Burke app and click the, the Bible tab, and it's already pulled up there for you. Uh, it's always good to turn there. All right, so Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 9 is where this conversation with this religious leader is happening. And it says this, right, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. And so verse 7 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Let let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, some of your translations might say, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let no one, no one, no one, no one separate, including you, including me, should break up our hearts. Right? In other words, if you are a, a person that is forging their life on God, if you're a Jesus follower, divorce is not an option 95% of the time, right? If you're, you're not a Jesus follower, if you're, you're not forging your life on him, then you're off the hook. But I still think applying this verse to our marriages is absolutely huge, right? Regardless of, of where you are with God, you may be thinking, hold on, just wait, right? Divorce is an option, right? If that's what you're thinking, you're not alone, right? Marriedpeople.com, the people we got the, the chase exercise from that helped Christina and I that we shared with you guys last week, right? Marriedpeople.com recently sent the phrase, divorce is not an option out onto their social media world, right? Into the, the social media platforms that we have. And one man responded with, of course, divorce is an option. No one should see marriage as a trap. Another woman that, that stood out to me was, that's archaic. If someone needs out of a marriage, they should have that option. Now, I understand what they are saying, and to some degree, I believe it is true. But again, I dare say that in most cases, divorce is not the right option. Listen, right? right people in the counseling community will tell you that as long as divorce is on the table as an option, they are very limited in what they can do to help, to help a, a couple going through troubles. All right, why is this the case? Why is this the situation? Because it's an issue of focus. It's a mindset issue. When, when divorce is on the table as an option, all people can see is the exit strategy. Right? An exit strategy that I believe is birthed from another mindset. Right? So often people consider divorce and they run their marriage through the grid of, of, of lists, the me mindset, right? And the me mindset says this, is this marriage working for me, right? right? The me mindset, is this marriage working for me, right? It is a problem when we are married and we are constantly wondering, is this marriage working for me? Because there are, listen, there are days, there are weeks, there are seasons, perhaps even years, 
when your marriage is not going to be working for you. Just the way it is, right? When, when your spouse does the things that drive you up the wall, that does not work for you, right? When you do the things that drive your spouse up the wall, that does not work for them. So to one degree or another, most of us will have a time, a season, a, a years perhaps, like we said, in our marriage when it is not working for us. So the question, right, is this marriage working for me? Is absolutely dangerous, right? But, but there's a different question. One that works on the good and the bad days that we will have, right? This is the, the question that helps us develop the core four habit of, of practicing our, our promise, right? Practicing what we, we promise. And this question has enormous potential to turn almost any marriage around. Right? And it is a question that reveals the answer to why divorce is usually not the best option. And it is based in this mindset, the us mindset. Okay? And it asks this question, what am I doing to make this marriage work? Right? What am I doing to make this marriage work? Every day in the real world of marriage with our spouse, we need to ask, what am I doing to make this marriage work? Right? When, our, when our spouse is in a mood, we need to ask, what am I doing to make this marriage work? When our, our spouse has different spending habits than we do, we need to ask, what am I doing to make this marriage work? Right? When, our, when our spouse has a tough day on the job, we need to ask, again, what am I doing to make this marriage work? So the question, what am I doing to make the marriage work, is a totally different lens, a totally different mindset in which we need to view our marriage. For, for example, a little example, one of my many, many weaknesses is that I'm bad with the little details and small tasks of life. Right? Asking me to do uh, things like make a plane reservation can send me into panic mode. Right? Ordering a meal on Uber Eats can bring me to my knees. Right? Emails can send me into a tailspin, and this does not always work for Christina. Right? Right? It doesn't always work for her, but she loves me. And so never, almost never, she, gets mad. she doesn't get mad at me right? for, for losing things or, or freaking out over little things. And typically, she makes my plane reservations for me or my doctor's appointments, and, and orders Uber Eats for me. She does a lot for me with those little details of life, right? That is what she does with my weaknesses to make our marriage work, right? Now, Christina would say that one of her challenges, one of her weaknesses is not being able to handle large crowds of people that she doesn't know all that well, right? So the other day, we needed to go to Costco, and while Christina will will never lose her mind over having to order a prescription from the pharmacy or a, a plane ticket. She would rather do anything than go to Costco. But I love her, right? And so I went to Costco by myself and I did the shopping, right? That is what I do with her weaknesses to make our marriage work. And this also allows me to eat all the, the snacks and samples that I want, right? When, when we get back to having those things in our lives. Now, these may seem like small examples, right? like just little unimportant things. But that's the point, right? Marriages, our marriages are made up of a little 
micro-movements, right? The sum total of these micro-moves equals the condition of your marriage, right? When we love our spouse, even when they are irrational, even when there's baggage that, that creates an unfair tension, even when they are simply not that lovable, right? It is powerful for our marriage when we love them anyway when we practice what we promise, right? It, it draws them to us when we practice our promises. And we do that by living out the right, the right answer to the question, what am I doing to make this marriage work? The, the us mindset. Now, right now, you may, you may be wondering if this, this mindset, this, this change could do anything for your marriage because you're struggling with some big issues like we talked about. Listen, again, I promise you, there is unbelievable power for married people who live out the right answer to this question. What am I doing? What am I, Andrew, doing to make my marriage work? Powerful. Right? The, the bottom line for most couples is, is that divorce is not the answer. Most of us, if we have not already need to take divorce off the table as an option because divorce is not the answer. Divorce is not the answer. Having, like we said, a positive chase of respect and love is the answer. Right? Divorce is not the answer. Loving God first is the answer. Right? Uh, divorce is not the answer. Having serious fun in our marriages is the answer. Divorce is not the answer. Practicing your promise is the answer, right? The, the common denominator for all couples, all thriving couples who are forging their lives on God is the us mindset, right? That asks, what are we doing for our spouse? We appreciate our spouse. We, we communicate our love to our spouse. We give our spouse a break. We make time for our spouse Day after day, we can choose to be living examples of what it means to live out the answer to the us mindset question. How am I making this marriage work? And so, so what about you, right? What is an area of your marriage that is not going so well? And we all have them. And what if we, we identified that and we asked ourselves, what am I doing to, to make my marriage work in this area, right? To put into practice, right? What could happen if we did that? What could happen if, if you actually practiced your promise, which helps you become your best us? What we've been talking about the last few weeks. I want, to, I want to tell you, as we start to finish up here, I want to tell you about one of my favorite couples who practiced all four uh, of these habits that we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? And they're the, the example of becoming our best us that Christina and I uh, look to. It's Christina's grandparents, Doyle and Mary Lee Cook. They were married for some like 62 years. And when I met Doyle and Mary Lee, Christina and I were just dating and we were driving them to dinner. And Christina was driving, I was in the front seat and we were, we were going down the road and they were in the back seat, and they were tickling each other. They were flirting with each other. They were, were poking fun at each other. They were having fun. And Christina had to, had to holler at them and say, hey, knock it off. You're distracting the driver, right? 
they definitely had the habit of fun down pat. But today I, I want to talk about what they did for one another, right? How they, how they practiced their promise, how they answered the question, what am I doing to make this marriage work? And this is just a little example, but it's very powerful. It was after Doyle actually passed away that I realized how much they did for one another, how much they covered one another's weaknesses, right? It had only been a few weeks. Everyone had gone home and Mary Lee was living by herself for the first time in 62 years. Christina had called her to do her weekly check-in and we were talking to Mary Lee on the speakerphone and she told us this story. She said Doyle had been the one to do the checking, right? The, the banking. And she always went with him to the bank just to go along for the ride and, and to, to talk with the, the bank tellers to visit with them because she could talk more than Christina could talk, right? And she didn't do the banking because she didn't like it. She wasn't good with numbers. She said she only had one math class in college and it was rough, right? But here's the point, right? They were settled in their way of doing things for such a long time. And, and so when she went to the bank for the first time by herself, Right? She did her banking, she came out, and she got into the car on the wrong side. Right? She had been getting in on the, wrong, on the, on the passenger side for, for 62 years, and now she couldn't get in on the driver's side. It's because Doyle was always there doing those things. Right? The, the bank was Doyle's thing. And she was so used to just going along for the ride, she didn't even remember what seat to get into. Right? Things like this happened and happened all the time in her in the weeks following Doyle's death. She couldn't, she couldn't make strawberry jelly anymore, their famous strawberry jelly, because she didn't have someone who would do the parts that she didn't know how to do or like to do, right? The icky parts, right? She did her thing, Doyle did his thing, and then there was strawberry jelly. But now she couldn't make it because Doyle did the things that she couldn't do or didn't like to do. She couldn't turn the TV on anymore because she hated technology all those 62 years, and now... Now that Doyle has gone, who loved technology, she didn't know how to get to her favorite programs. On and on it went. And the family, of course, stepped in to help her with all these little things. But that is what a marriage practicing its promise looks like. It looks like turning on the TV because your wife can't figure out the instructions. It looks like ordering plane tickets because you can't handle those details well. It looks like not getting upset when the bed isn't made because you know that your wife had a bad day at work, or it looks like letting the unfinished project sit unfinished one more day without saying anything because you know that he's busy with his parents. Right, we could go on and on and on, but practicing your promise is choosing to do the little things, the micro things to make your marriage work over and over and over again, rather than taking a stupid big way out. Right, so as the as the band comes back up, my prayer for you is that you will apply these four habits to your marriage. Have serious fun. Schedule it. Practice it, right? Have serious fun in your relationships. But love God first always. Put him first in all that you do, including your relationships. Have a positive chase of respect and love, understand why you fight, why you argue, and then erase that lie that is on your heart. Then finally practice what you promise. Well, while they may not always be easy to live out, they are easy to understand, these habits. Right? Your us can be better than you ever imagined. God designed 
marriage to be great. You can do this one step at a time, one moment at a time, one habit at a time. Our prayer is that you enjoy your marriage, that you enjoy each other, that you enjoy becoming your best us. Thanks for listening to the Foundry Church Podcast. We'd love to stay in touch. Visit us online at thefoundrychurch.com or connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at the Foundry Burke.